Hi, I'm Ashley, and you are listening and watching Confidence in Coffee. The first thing I want you to know is that I see you and I hear you. I see the struggles. There's hope. What if I was to tell you that you can find confidence despite any of your circumstances, good or bad? I'm going to help you navigate the waters of womanhood, whatever season that is, whether it's marriage, singleness, or you're drowning in children. I got you, girl. I'm your new bestie. I'm going to help you find confidence and hope through Christ. I'm going to leave you with plenty of encouragement and practical tips to overcome those limiting beliefs so you can live a life well. Plus, (laughs) you know we're going to find a few laughs along the way. So grab your favorite cup of coffee and join me as we chat confidence in coffee. You guys, I am giddy and excited to have my friend on Confidence and Coffee. It's been a little bit of a minute since we had a guest like this on the podcast. And what we're going to talk about today is just I'm super honored. And even thinking about it makes me cry. And it just shows just how the goodness of God, the testimony of this man is phenomenal. And so he is a husband. He is a father. He is a speaker. He loves Jesus. He is an author. We have a lot in common. He has been seen on Forbes.com and he has been seen on Speaker Magazine, TV, featured in various blogs and podcasts. And he's here on Confidence and Coffee through his powerful messages that he shares and his compelling story. And it is compelling. Exxon hopes to help people. He hopes to help people improve the relationships in their life so they may leave a beautiful legacy and break generational curses and create a super powerful influence in their family's lives and the people around them. His new book is What I Want My Children to Know Before I Die is was released in May, was released just recently in May. I'm going to link that in the show notes. I am so excited and honored that you're here and that you're going to be sharing with us. And I, I hope to talk a little bit more about your book as well. I'm excited about it, but thanks for coming on Confidence and Coffee. Ashley, thank you for having me on. Really appreciate you having me on the yeah. show. Is it okay if I pray for our listeners just real quick and make sure they're safe and pray for you and pray for your family? Is that okay? Absolutely. Okay. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for this gathering and this time. And we want to give you the glory and we want to acknowledge you first because it is because of you that we are here. It is because of you that we can shine a light for your kingdom. And I pray that people have open hearts and open ears to what Uh, you want to share in the testimony of Exxon's life and what he's doing in the mission that you've given him. I pray that you continue to protect his family. I pray for healing and favor, Lord Jesus. I pray for every single listener, whether they're in their car, whether they're at the park with their kids, they're folding laundry, or they're taking a nice hot bubble bath, wherever they are, I pray for peace. And I pray that this just speaks to them in the season of life that they're in and that there are no technical differences difficulties in Jesus name. Amen. Exxon, is there anything you want to add on or well, can we get started? Cause I'm super yeah, let's excited get started. to have you share. Okay. And you are so good at saying people's names. My name is, you said Exane, which is Exane. pretty close, but thank you so much. <laughs> okay. So I said it, I said it 
I said Xane <laughs> and then I said Exxon after prayer. So that must yeah. be Jesus. You're great. You're great. Just terrible just, with just names. I have a I have a I have a wild name, so no worries. <laughs> I love it. It's original. It's authentic. It's unforgettable. Thank you. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about what you're going to talk to us about today. I know you've been through a lot. And I mean, I can just see, I barely know you, but I feel like I know you and connect with you and I can just see God in, in his mission on your life right now and how clear it is. Well, that's really nice of you to say, Ashley, you know, it's interesting. I think everybody we meet, everybody we meet has been through so much that we can't see. Everybody has pain. Yeah. Yeah that we can't see. And if you can treat everybody, I think like the savior, like Jesus would want us to treat everybody was as, as if they have pain that we can't see because they do. And I think if we treat people that way, we'll be right almost all of the time, if not all the time. Well, anyway, the world um, would be a better place. Thanks for the kind words. I, let me tell you this. One of the things I'm really passionate about is, is sharing with people what a great, what a big effect they have as parents. You know, in this world, sometimes being a parent is looked down on. It's like, well, so, you know, take, for example, a stay-at-home parent who's doing their best to raise children. Sometimes people look down on that, on a stay-at-home parent who's full-time. And they think, well, why wouldn't you be out in the world doing something to, to help the world? And in reality, I think that moms, that dads, that good parents have the ultimate career and they do more good than anyone anywhere, any career. And I, and I don't say that lightly. I think a stay at home mom has more influence than a CEO or a congressperson or a Senator. Let me tell you one of the reasons I believe this. When I was young, I used to like to draw trees. And so the way I draw them is I draw every leaf, every branch, even the little veins in the leaves, and you can imagine a tree with every little twig and dozens of leaves in detail. I went to school and I saw how the other children drew, drew trees and guess how they drew trees. <laughs> kind of like, kind of like a big broccoli, right? Two lines with a little poofy cloud on top. <laughs> I did that. Um, Maybe like some <laughs> coming out the side. Right. Anyway, I, I went to school. I saw how these other kids drew trees and I stopped drawing them the detailed way that I drew them before. And I started drawing them the way the other children drew them. And I actually found out later that my mom, when she saw this, and I didn't find this out till later, but I I found out that she cried and you can imagine why I was kind of giving up part of this, you know, who I was to, to draw trees like the other kids. Well, fast forward several years, I was at a little league game and by the way, there's a couple ways you can play little league. You can either be good and hit the ball. If you were pathetic, like I was, I'd just hold the bat out and the, the bat with the ball would hit the bat and fall down. It's called a bunt. I as think a, that's brilliant. <laughs> as a, I mean, as an eight-year-old boy, Ashley, the entire season, I had one bunt. So I was pretty bad. Look, I have three <laughs> boys and a little girl and they all play differently. I know the butt and I am for it. Okay. Like it makes the pitcher come all the way over there to the base and they've already been on first base. Okay. <laughs> not, nece- not necessarily a bad play, right? <laughs> it, it, anyway, I, I, I guess I'm not here to tell you how bad I was at baseball, but I, but I will tell you this. There was something that sig- was significant when I, after this game, when we got home from this game and my mom 
complained of a very severe headache. And at one point, she's, I think she said it was worse than childbirth. I, I've never experienced childbirth. I mean, many of our viewer, listeners here probably have. But my dad became concerned because this was not typical for my mom. My mom wasn't one who typically got headaches. And my dad said he was going to take mom to the hospital. And I remember standing there in the front room of our home and just giving my mom a hug. And I gave her a hug and just said, I love you, mom. And they drove away. Well, as an eight-year-old boy, I was a little concerned. This never happened before. And our uncle, my uncle and aunt happened to be visiting at the time. And I went to my uncle and I said, is my mom going to die? And he looked at me and said, no, your mom's not going to die. She's going to be just fine. And I said, do you promise my mom's not going to die? And he said, just relax. She's going to be fine. She probably just has a migraine. Just, just, just relax. It's going to be okay. And I wanted to believe him. And I, I went downstairs and climbed up on my bunk bed. I had a bunk bed at, at the time. Anyway, I started reading this book about squirrels. I still remember the book and waited for my parents to get home. And they didn't get home. And I probably waited up till, I don't know, two or three in the morning. Eventually I fell asleep. The next, the next day I, I awoke and I was a little bit anxious. I wanted to see my mom and dad and I climbed off of my bunk bed. And outside of my room, there was this kind of, kind of a long family room. I opened the door to my room and I, I looked out wanting to see my parents. And on the other end of this family room, I could see my dad, but something was different. My mom was not there. Instead, there was a friend and a neighbor and another neighbor and a friend and another neighbor. It seemed like half the neighborhood was at our house. And as I walked closer to my dad, I could see that he'd been crying. He had tears on his, on his cheeks. And as I got even closer, my dad kind of gathered the children around and he was trying to choke back his emotion. He was trying not to cry. But he said words that I'll never forget. He said, I think our mom is going to leave us. And I put two and two together and I went into this panic and I said, dad, dad, we got to do something. We got to do something. We got to say a prayer. We got to do something. What what can we do? What can we do to help mom? And uh, just, I remember the panic I felt. Well, my mom had suffered a cerebral hemorrhage, which means a blood vessel in her brain had burst and she was now brain dead being being, being kept alive by life support at the hospital. Um, I remember two days later, we were at the hospital. My mom was on a hospital bed and she had tubes coming out of her nose. She had her chest was kind of rising and falling, but it wasn't on her own. It was that with the help of a machine. So it kind of unnaturally just kind of eight years old. Yeah. And I was scared. I mean, as an eight year old, I was scared. 
And uh, I remember I remember there was a there came a time where there, there was nothing they could do. They just needed to take her off life support. And when they did, she kind of crinkled up and turned bluish. And I wanted to give her a kiss, but I was afraid to. And so I I went up and I just kind of kissed two inches from her in the air and I walked out. Well, I got to tell you, as an eight-year-old boy, I watched my mom die. I got to tell you, though, after I left the room, there was a, an, an anesthesiologist. He was a friend of our family. And he said, he told me later that after I left the room, that my mom went from kind of being crinkled up like this to where she, on her own, without any help, kind of spread her arms out, almost like she was coming into a beautiful place. Wow. Um, but here's my, here's my question for you. Here's my question to anyone listening to this podcast. How do you think I draw trees now? Mm. And I'll tell you, mm. I draw them the way my mom would want me to, the way I see them. And even though I haven't given her a hug in over 36 years, I got to tell you, Ashley, there's something that's almost as good as giving your mom a hug and it's feeling her influence. And I felt her influence and feel it more than you would, more than you would think. And so the reason I tell this story, I want to tell you, my mom was 32 years old. She had seven kids. My youngest brother was just barely nursing. He was seven weeks old. And I haven't given her a hug for over 36 years. But I just told you one little tiny story about drawing trees. I can tell you, Ashley, that the things my mom did when I was six, when I was seven, things she said, things she did, they still profoundly, profoundly affect me today over 36 years ago, 36 years from the time she died. My, my children, her grandchildren, who she never met, mm. are, are profoundly affected by things she did. I'm convinced that the things, the way she lived her life and the way she did things is not only affecting me, it's not only affecting my, my grandchildren, it's affecting, it will filter down through generations. Yeah. It's like that song uh, by Carrie Job and their children and their children. Like, and, and it is, it's a, it's a, it's a generational influence. And, and if I may, I, I, I have no words. I have no words. And that's just a part of, that's one part of your story. Like I, I, I can't begin to imagine Especially, you know, I have a, I have a 10 year old and a six year old, 12 year old. I can't, uh, it makes me, I mean, even then it, it it's got to make parents 
really take that more seriously because it is minimized. I, I know that when I, when people ask me how, who am I, what do I do? And I do interviews. The first thing I say, and I am a content creator. I am an influencer, podcast host, and author. I do lots of things. But the first thing that I say is that I am a stay-at-home mom because that is the most important thing to me, right? Uh, and I, I would, and it's, I hear women all the time. And I believe, and I believe that we're in a season that, that need, we need to come back to that. We need to really get our house in order. And I hear women all the time taken back that I say that. And I ask them why. And they tell me, well, I struggle with that. I, I, I struggle with, with being like really considering that. Like, I don't find it as something that I do or that I work. It's very down on the list. And they tell me all these other things that they do. And I'm like, that's so sad. Who told you that? Right? Who told you that that wasn't valuable? Right? And it, and it truly is the most valuable thing on the planet. And I don't say that lightly. I mean, really, a mom or a dad, a parent who's checked in, who's really there, will have more influence long-term than any other career. Yeah. And I love, I love that. I love what you just said. You said that like a good impactor checked in or present would have, you know, a good influence. But what would you say about a parent who's not checked in, who's uh, who is neglectful or abusive or checked out or uh, not even there, like physically, like has left their family? Would you say that would that can be an influence as well for a long period of time? Absolutely. And that's the good news and the bad news, right? So let me let me tell you one story here. I have my brother, he's a really smart guy. <laughs> he actually went to Harvard. And he studied education for his master's program at Harvard. And he and I were talking, we always talk about education. And one of the things we were talking about one day, we were talking about what is the best way to educate somebody? Let's, let's just pretend like you had no cap on money, you had no cap on resources, and you could spend as much money, do whatever it is you want. What would be the very, very best way to educate someone. And as we were discussing this, this idea came up. What if you could just follow around the person you wanted to be like? And let me give you an example. So let's use a non-parenting example. Let's use a parent. Let's use an example. You know, let's say you wanted to be a hedge fund manager, which by the way, hedge fund managers are, I guess, one of the most well-paid people on the planet. Oh, I didn't right, know that. <laughs> right now, if you wanted to be a hedge fund manager, you'd probably have to get really, really good grades all through school. You'd have to take the GMAT and get into business school. You'd probably have to go to an Ivy League school, which could be very expensive, spend years there. You'd, then you'd probably have to spend probably a couple decades going you know, at a job at some hedge fund place. And then maybe 20, 30 years from now, if you're real lucky and you were really smart and you played your cards right, you might be able to be a hedge fund manager. But we had this idea. What if you could just follow around a top hedge fund manager? What if you could just follow them around, just sit in the same room as them, hear what they said, hear when they bought and sold different companies or different stocks or whatever they did, listen to their phone calls, see what they did in board meetings, see if you could just follow them around. Do you think you could learn more quickly how to be a hedge fund manager? And as I was discussing with my brother, he said, well, yeah, you could probably learn really quick. You'd see 
what they did, how they hired, how they fired, what their decision-making criteria was. And so we had this conversation and I was driving shortly after we had this conversation and I had this thought hit me. I was at a stoplight and this thought hit me like it was a semi-truck coming through the stoplight. It was like, this thought came to me and said, you know what? The very best way to educate anyone has been around for thousands and thousands of years is called parenting. Mm. We literally have little people follow us around. Mm, yeah. They're just like that hedge fund example. They are learning in the best way we can possibly teach them for either good or evil. Now, keep that thought in mind. I'm going to tell you one more real quick story that has to do with this. It has to do with what you said here. It's I was, you know, in, in my in my career, I've done some real estate sales and there I was working for this one particular company and it was after the market had taken a real crash, I mean a hard crash. And they were kind of desperate to get sales. And so they actually, there was this idea that we would go out and go to these apartment complexes and, and knock on doors to try to get people to buy homes because there was nobody buying. Anyway, I was with somebody else. And we were knocking on doors, trying to get people. And I, we knocked on this one particular door and this little kid came to the door and said, my mom told me to tell you that she can't come to the door because she's in the bathroom. Okay. <laughs> and and then, and it's kind of a funny story, but the kid right from behind, right from behind the door, you could hear the mom who was obviously not in the bathroom. She was right behind the door. She said, okay, now, sweetheart, shut the door, shut the door, shut the door. <laughs> and, 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 and we laughed. I mean, it was a funny story, right? But as I thought about it later, I thought about it later and I thought, you know what? I don't think that that mom got up that morning and said, Today, I'm going to teach my child to lie. I don't think she did that. And so, oh. but she did. I mean, she, she literally in that moment, using the best way you could possibly teach anyone, which is letting them follow you around for a lot forever. Yeah. By her example said, Hey, you know what? If you don't really want to talk to someone or you're kind of not in the mood or it's uncomfortable or whatever, it's okay to just tell a lie. And, and I don't think she thought that. Right. Who does? Right? Yeah. No, nobody thinks, well, today I'm going to teach my kid to lie. Right. But those little tiny decisions that we make, right? Those little tiny things that we think don't matter. If we can start as parents saying, you know what? Everything I do, my kids are watching. And that's good news and bad news. Because if I can get myself to a point where I can be a great example for them, I can give them all kinds of opportunities to go far in the world. And as a dad, man, there's nothing I want more than to have my children be confident and believers and do what they need to do and, and make a good difference. Right. But, but I blow it sometimes. I mean, sometimes by my example, I'm not patient or I, I'm on my phone when they want attention. And so those little things we do, gosh, they're so important. I, you know, I could tell you stories just about things my, my, my mom said or did that have I mean, just little five second things, three second things that have a profound, profound Stuck with you. Yeah. So with you. I want the parents to know, you know, the good news. Let, let me tell you one more thing and we can move on. I ask people this question sometimes. I say, do you know what your great, great grandparents did for a living? So not, so it's basically your grandparents, grandparents. Right. And I've asked this question to a lot of people and most people can't tell you. Every once in a while, someone will say, well, he was a farmer, she was a rancher or something. Right. 
But they'll say, hey, remember, you had 16 great-great-grandparents, eight great-great-grandfathers, eight great-grandfathers. Do you know what they did? And most people, they might know one. They can't tell you. Well, here's, here's, the, good, here's the good news and bad news. The, the good news and bad news is, I got to tell you this, whatever you and I do for work, whatever I do in my business, whatever I do out in the world, my great-great-grandkids, my children's my grandkids' grandkids are going to care about as much what I did for work as I care, <laughs> as I know, right? But, but the influence we have as a parent is, is going to profoundly affect them. Here's just one little example. I live in America. And the reason I live in America is because one of my ancestors hundreds of years ago, more than one, mm. got on a boat and came to America. Mm. Well, that one choice... It affects my educational, it affects what language I speak, it affects my religion, it affects my economic opportunities, yeah. it, so many things. And that's an obvious one because it's geographic, but there's other things, you know, were they nice or were they mean? Were they patient? Were they checked in? Were they not? Were they drunk? Were they uh, fighting know, all crying? the time? Were they, fi- were they fighting all the time? Were they calm? Did they apologize? Those, did they apologize when they made a mistake? Exactly. Those kinds of things are not as visible, but they can be still be passed down for, for hundreds of years, for generations. And so the influence you have, gosh, it's, it's kind of a burden to think about it. But it's also just knowing that you as a parent, have so much long-term influence that you don't realize. And, and truthfully, have more influence than any CEO in the long run, what you do in the walls of your own home is going to affect more people than you have any, than any clue. So, so, so good. I, I, I like am a part of the social media world. Okay. And you probably have seen it, but a lot of people are actually in our age group are coming out about raising their kids and about triggers and gentle parenting and about how we were parented and how that's created trauma and insecurities. And you hear that a lot now, like it's being spoken about, like about how that, how a lot of parenting styles have affected us and, and how we now, like it's more normal for people to kind of be honest about their struggles in regard of like, I'm trying not to be triggered when my child yells, because normally when I yelled, I got a spanking and I know that that's wrong. And I don't want to do that. Like, like it's, it's even like a behavior is super influential. And I love what you said about how that it gets passed down and how we don't know. And we, I think that, you know, we like to say that kids are selfish, but adults are selfish too. Right. So like if, if somebody's more focused and I've been guilty of this about like a job rather than your children, right. Like just following these like ambitions and not really doesn't have your marriage in check, doesn't have your children in check, like thinking about that, you know, they're going to see that you weren't there. So they're not going to see, like, if you don't balance it, right. If you're not checked in, if you don't create those boundaries, if you're not intentional, they're going to see the fact that like, well, they weren't there, they were ambitious. So they're either going to do the opposite, right. Or they're going to kind of act out. Right. So like adults tend to make these decisions 
or, or when we get to a certain age where we we want to make a decision to be different or we are the same. Like we are what our parents are. Right. And so that brings me to like this, like what, when you're talking, the influence, first off, your brother went to Harvard. Your mother was phenomenal goals. Okay. Um, I can just tell from an outside perspective, the influence that your mom's had. So it doesn't just affect you or your grandkids, but it affects everyone around you. So holy moly. That's right. right. That's what I'm saying. And it, what you do as a parent is going to affect not just your kids, but who they interact with too, right? Yeah. So. And here's my question. Like what brought you to that? Cause you know, like when I think of influence from parents, I'll be real. I think of negative. Well, that's all I've known. So I right. think of like negative. My perspective is like, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Sometimes I still do it, but yours is so positive. And sometimes I find people kind of just like the people who do have good parents, just kind of like they don't think about it, right? Like they don't think about it. So what kind of brought you to like, this is super influent. This is super influential. There's a problem. And here, you know, is the solution. Like, you know, like parents are being minimized what they do in their home. So it's not becoming as important. And you are changing that dynamic or raising awareness in that dynamic. Where did that stem from? Like, where did you have this you know what I'm saying? Like, where did it's you have super- this? Like, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm writing this book and you have this whole like revelation and, and truth, not just in obviously in your influence and your brothers and like what you're doing, but like, where did that come from? Cause that, you know, when I think of my childhood, I think of how I'm going to write about how to heal <laughs> right. from it. Right. <laughs> like, and, and I love that you're doing that. And you know, this is a super good question, Ashley. Let, let me tell you my, my initial thought is, is one of the things, and I truly believe this, that with Christ, your, your, your greatest pain becomes your superpower. Yeah. And let me tell you what I mean. You know, first of all, my hat's off to you, so to speak, because you're trying to make a difference and do things differently. I got to tell you something that reminded me of what you said. And I actually happen to have this book right on the, on the, on the ground here on the, excuse me, on the desk with me here. My brother, who, who, again, we love to talk about education. We love to talk about parenting. He, he was, he referred this book to me and it's not a book I wrote. It's this book called the power of positive parenting. I just happened to have it here. And you, you reminded me of it. This guy, his name's Glenn Latham. He wrote this book and one of the things that really, really stood out to me when he wrote this book was he said, you know, the best way to shape human behavior, especially with kids, is, let me back up here. If you can think of behaviors as like a little seed. So if I put seeds in the ground because I want to grow something and attention, which is, in, in, is very reinforcing, especially for children, I water the behaviors that I want to see grow mm. with attention. Now, let, let me back up here for a second. These, these behaviors. So if you see a behavior you want, you want to give it attention, but here's what a lot of parents do. Okay. Including myself. I blow this all the time. I'm going to tell you, I, but, but I'm a lot of, have you ever seen the parent, the parent, the kid walks in, the parent says, I can't believe you didn't make your bed. Yeah. And you got a C minus on your math test and you, you're, you're hanging out with the wrong kids. And you're this and this, and, and what they're doing without realizing it is they're watering the behaviors that they don't want to see grow. And so even though they think that they're trying to get rid of those behaviors by bringing it up, 
what they're actually doing without realizing it is that when I consistently bring those up because kids like attention, they'd rather have some attention than no attention. When you, when you give them attention for not making their bed, you're actually making it more likely that they won't make their bed again. And so his whole premise of this book is if you want to get rid of problem behavior, which every parent does, right? I mean, kids sometimes do things, start reinforcing and giving attention to the good behavior, like start catching your kids doing something right. And they're doing more right than you think. Let me give you one example. Make it a big deal. I used to be a teacher. Like, be funny about it. Yeah. Be like, yeah. oh my gosh, dude, that was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Be, yeah. You, good. Yeah. Great example. They had this in this way, he sent to the principal's office all the time. So this kid's going to sent to the principal's office and it got to be such a big deal that they brought this counselor in and the counselor's watching from the back of the room. And he see, and the counselor notices that this kid is doing a ton of things right, lots of things right, but getting zero, I mean, no attention for it. Teacher's not acknowledging, nobody's pointed it out, just no attention. But as soon as the kid does something wrong, the, the teacher would be like, oh, there you go. Puts his name on the board. He does something else, puts a check mark on the board, yeah. something else, check mark on the board. So he's getting all this attention for it. But then the big kicker is they, they take this kid down to the principal's office because he's finally got enough check marks and they sit him next to this window. And it was right during lunch or right before lunch. And the kids came by and were starting to wave at him. He's waving at him. So he's getting a lot of attention for sitting there being the, you know, the kid kind of behind the window. And then of course the principal would come in and probably say, you know, why are you doing this? And so he was getting all this attention for doing things that are wrong. And the, the counselor said, this is pretty predictable behavior. You know, you're giving him attention for what he's doing wrong. Why don't you give him, if you of course, he's going to get, he's going to grow because it's like watering you, whatever right. the behavior is good or bad. And so one of the big points of this book is the best way to get rid of problem behavior is really to, to really acknowledge the good behavior. Don't you wish, and, and I wish, I think everybody wishes, you know, my guess is that most people wish their parents would have caught them doing something right more like, wow, let me give you one. You know, I have a great daughter. She's just naturally good daughter. She's amazing. Love it. But when she was young, she once knocked on my door and she said something, she goes, surprise, dad, I made my bed. I made my lunch. I'm ready to go, go to school. And I had learned about positive reinforcement before. And I went to my wife in the closet and I said, let's reinforce this. Let's give it a lot of attention. Let's try it see if it worked. And so I went out there and I said, wow, your bed looks good. Thank you. And you're, 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 you made your lunch. That's great. And you're all dressed for school when you wouldn't even have to ask you, wow, this is amazing. My wife laid it on pretty thick. It was, you know what I'm saying? It was really interesting because my, my daughter did it again. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we kept watering it with attention and, and we did it again. And so what would have been less effective? I mean, because they actually, this is, this is like pure research. Okay. The, the most effective way to shape human behavior is through positive reinforcement. There's other ways you can try. I mean, you can try to punish people or spank them. You can try to negative reinforce, but those ways are not as effective. They may have a short-term result, but in the long run, if you want long-term good behavior, the best way to do it is to catch them doing something right and water it. So it would have been less effective for me to wait till my daughter sleeps in, doesn't make her lunch, doesn't make her bed. And then storm in there and say, how many times do I have to tell you to make your bed and do your lunch? And, and, and that would have been less effective. And it actually would have been making more effect to do that. So if you really get down to it, what we're talking about, you can call it positive reinforcement, but it's really just what the savior said. It's just the golden rule. Don't we all want to be caught doing something right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. the, 
Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto yeah. you. Right? So it's really just following the words of the savior. Let's find our ways. But those little tiny decisions over time, they, they yeah. really have a big effect. So it's good news. Are your it, kids by- the reason that kind of motivated you to really raise awareness in what you're talking about with influence? Was it when you became yeah. a father? Well, I'll tell you this. It was kind of a journey. It's always a journey. We're still a, on the journey. <laughs> I'm yes, still on are. the journey. <laughs> and, and we're all on the journey. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, I blow it all the time with my kids. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not perfect at this. I, mm-hmm. I try and sometimes I get it right. And oftentimes I'm, I still what, struggle. What is perfection, right? Like Jesus is the only perfect one. That's why we teach our children to apologize and that we make mistakes. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it was my, when my knowing the, the effect that I'm kind of in an interesting position because I actually, because my mom really wasn't there from eight on, I can say with authority uh, that I know certain things yeah. she did are affecting me wow. today. And and some people who've had their moms with them their whole life might not be able to see that their moms are still having a huge effect. But because I knew what life was like before my mom died and after she not died, and I knew some of the things she did and said, and I know how they affect me today. I'm kind of in this unique spot where I can say, you know what? I yeah. know. And I, I kind of have a, a little bit of authority here to say, I know that parents have a huge effect. Even if you think, gosh, you know, all I'm doing is this work that nobody sees, that nobody appreciates. In the long run, you're doing everything. You're building yeah. the next generation. Well, she must had a pretty big effect because I know kids that lose their parents at young ages and they go the opposite way. They're angry. And, and to be truthful, I was for a while. Yeah, I I really struggled with it. It took me probably a good decade or two to figure that out. But, but the, the parents effect is still stronger than, you know, the story's not over. It's not over. How old are your kids right now? 17 down to four. My four, five. Yeah. So I've got, I've, I've got five beautiful, wonderful children, different levels. And all the way. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Wow. How many do you have? I have five kids and they're five. the biggest, the biggest blessing in my life. Totally. I'm grateful for my children. Yeah. But, you know, I, I had one thought come to me and I was going to tell you, do you mind if I share one more thought? Cause it just came to me. I would okay? love for you to. So I know this, this guy named Daniel. And a while ago, quite some time ago, he was accepted to Stanford's MBA program. Now, one time I, I told this story and somebody thought I said NBA, which is the National Basketball Association. I didn't say it. I said MBA, which is Masters of Business. Okay. So Stan- <laughs> Stanford has this, this kind of cool program for, for uh, you know, it's probably it's a lot of people consider it the best in the nation, but it's at least one of the top few. Anyway, because I, I actually did some research on it and I, I tried to find out how much, uh, and a difference it made to go to Stanford. And when I did some research, it, it looked like the average Stanford MBA, and this was a little while ago, the average Stanford MBA, when I looked it up in year five, after they graduate makes about $285,000 a year. Now I got to tell you, this is not about money. I'm just using this story to, right. to make a point. They make about 285,000 a year. I, I went and looked at the census bureau and saw how much money an average, the average American household. And at the time it was 55,000. Both of these numbers are probably larger now because of inflation. Yes. But the difference between 285 to 55,000, that's a difference of 230,000 a year. And if you do that for 30 years, 
you will have made $6.9 million more than if you hadn't gone. Now, even that number is wrong because I, what I did is I just took 230,000 times it by 30 and that gave you 6.9 million. That did not take into account inflation. It didn't take into account cost of living. So if you took, took into those account, and you, if you also took into account the fact that people tend to make more as they go along in their career, like I'm only looking at year five after he graduated from Stanford, not year six or seven or eight or nine or 10, it could be 20 or $30 million. Well, here's the interesting thing. I went to, I went to Daniel and I asked him, I said, Daniel, something like this. I said, what did you do to get accepted to Stanford? And he said something like this. He said, you know, my dad taught me that if I didn't understand a word or understand something, I had to go look it up. He just taught me not to be content with not knowing something. If you don't understand something, figure it out, look, look it up. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, you're going to Stanford. You're going to make tons of money more than other people. But I, but I said, I said, tell me more. He said, well, it was really interesting. Most of the time it'd just be, I'd be looking up, a, I'd be reading a word in a book and I wouldn't understand a word and I'd have to go look it up in the dictionary. And, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, $6.9 million, look stuff up in the dictionary, like, tell me more. Yeah. And, and he said, well, it was, it, you know, I'd, I'd go look up the word and I'd come back and I now understood what they were talking about, but because I'd looked it up, I'd I now learned the word and I'd hear that word in conversation on the TV or the radio. And because I'd taken just a minute or two to look it up, I now kind of understood what they were talking about on the radio or the TV or somebody else chatting or whatever. Yes, same. And he, and he said it, it came exponential. And I thought, okay, that makes a little more sense. But I'm still thinking, you know, $6.9 million, look stuff up in the dictionary. And I think I said something like this to him. I said, Daniel, was there anything else you did to get accepted to Stanford? Yeah. And he kind of looked at me and he said, something like this. He said, well, I mean, sometimes I had to look stuff up in the encyclopedia. <laughs> I was like, okay, so here's the deal. In Daniel's mind, the reason he went to Stanford, it wasn't something huge and big he did. It was because he just would take a minute or two here there and look stuff up in the dictionary. Well, I, this kind of hit me for years. And I went back to Daniel later and I said, Daniel, she was straight with me. How, how much time a day were you looking stuff up in the dictionary? And he said, maybe five or 10 minutes, 15 minutes, not much. I said, what was it on a bad day? And he said, maybe 30. Well, I'm getting to the point here. So hear, hear me out for a second. I, I, I said, okay, so let's just pretend every day was a bad day. And I, and I took 30 minutes for every day that he was in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, all the way through junior high, middle school, high school, even his first four years of college. I took that amount of time and I divided it into $6.9 million. Do you have any idea how much money Daniel was making per hour as say a third grader looking stuff up in the dictionary? No. I'll tell you, this is really surprising to me. He was making at least around $2,200 an hour, if my calculations are right. And the reason I tell you the story isn't because it's about money. Right. It's not about money. Because the reason I'm telling this story is you may think, like if I said to you, you know, Ashley, if you don't understand a word, you should go look it up. You'd probably say, well, yeah, that's true. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> but you wouldn't realize how much sense it makes. And so right. I'm, I'm saying, you may not think that your little tiny daily decisions as a parent matter, but I'm here to tell you they're everything. 
Yeah. And, and you don't have to do anything spectacular. Right. You just have to say, okay, just today, just today. And I might, and I'm going to mess up because I'm human. Right. I'm going to do my very best. Like Jesus said, to take no thought for tomorrow and focus everything I can on just right. making good choices today. today. And so when I tell you, you know, catch people doing something right, for example, which I'm bad at, but I'm getting better. <laughs> hopefully you may think, well, that makes sense. But like Daniel, you may not realize how much sense it makes. Like most people wouldn't think that looking stuff up in the dictionary might mean $6.9 million or more. When I say, if you catch yourself doing something, if you catch people doing something right, most of you would say, well, that's, that's true. Mm -hmm. But if you actually play it out long-term, I mean, that could save a marriage. Yeah. It could, it could save a troubled teen from suicide. Yeah. Your little tiny daily decisions matter. And that's the good news and the bad news, right? Right. Right. If I can just change one little thing here or there, even if I'm not perfect, don't have to be perfect, but I can just say, you know what, today I'm going to catch my kids doing 10 things right. And I'm going to give them attention for it. Or instead of being keyed in, I'm going to leave my, to my cell phone when my kid wants to play soccer with me, I'm going to leave my cell phone in the other room yeah. for just two hours a day. People can call and text me. They just don't get me because I'm here with my kids. Right. You know, just little decisions like that played out over time, just like Daniel have this massive, massive effect. And that's the good news and the bad news. <laughs> right. Right. And do you talk about that in your book? Cause I know I you believe that you are the CEO basically of your children, right? Like you are the leader, you are the boss of your children in their education, in their behavior. I am curious though, when you say that you're the CEO of your children's education, like what are you referring to? Such a good question. Thanks for asking. So let me tell you what I'm, what I'm at, what I'm referring to. It's not that I'm, I'm the boss and I get to do everything. What it is, is that unfortunately there's a movement in the country that basically says the system or the government yeah. or, or the, they own our kids. They can teach them whatever they want. Right. Okay. And I, I really believe that parents have the responsibility to do that. So as a CEO, right. as, as a CEO for my children, okay. Which is the most important job I have is being the CEO. I might decide to say, you know what, I'm going to send them to a public school, or I might not decide to outsource that. I might decide to homeschool them. Right. I might decide to send them to a charter school or a private school, or right. maybe I hire a karate teacher or a piano teacher or a tutor to help them learn Chinese or so. I mean, I could, there's all kinds of things I can do, but what I'm saying is as a parent, instead of just saying, I'm just going to send my kids off to the nearest school and hope they raise them. Okay. Uh. To be more in keyed in and say, you know what, because I have the most, the best job, most the most influential job in the whole world yeah. as a dad, I'm just going to be keyed in and say, you know what, how can I do that? And, and, and that's a part it, of that influence. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you, I mean, I'll give you one example. Okay. I have a five-year-old daughter. Well, she's eight now, but she was five at one point. I had a five-year-old daughter. And, um, <laughs> they grow up. Yeah, they grow up. She came to me one day and she said, 
hey, dad, I want to hike this mountain. There's this mountain near our home that's over 11,000 square, 700 feet high. I live in Utah and there's a bunch, bunch of big mountains. Okay. And I said, to, she said, I want to hike this mountain. Now, as a dad, my job is to protect my kids. I don't want them to do anything crazy. Right. And at first I was kind of like, well, sure. but she kept begging. She kept begging. And she said, you know what? And so I said to her, you know what? One of the things as a dad that I think I'm supposed to do is to teach my kids confidence. So I actually, when she said this, I said to her, you know what? If you really want to do it, I think you could, I'll, I'll let you try. I said, but I got to warn you, you're probably going to have sore feet. It's going to be a long hike. And you may not even <laughs> like it that much some of the time because it's going to be a long hike. She, I said, are you sure you want to do this? And she said, yeah, dad, I want to do it. I want to do it. And so I let her do it. I hiked there. Like we got up early. We started hiking this mountain. It's about a 15 mile round trip. And I got to tell you, my five-year-old daughter made it to the top. Oh my gosh. And she was getting, there was other hikers, experienced hikers along the way. They were giving her high fives. They were telling her, you know, what a trooper. And, and she got to the top of that mountain. And there was a group of people who literally stood up and gave her a standing ovation. Now, as a dad, I could have quashed that. I could have said, no, 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 you're too young. Can't do that. And there yeah. was part of me that wanted to. But I think one of the, the things as a parent, is, and, 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 and I feel this as a dad, is I've got to build confidence. I got to tell you, my daughter, she, she did, her, her freak got sore. I mean, she, she was tired, but she has so much confidence now because she said, I climbed that mountain and I did it. And so just and a little thing her, like that. And you didn't tell her that she couldn't do it. You didn't plant a seed right. for now, her I to did. be like, well, you're too little. You're yeah. too little, or we don't have the time, or you'll never be able to do it. Nobody can do that. Like that could have went in me a different direction. That it totally. kind of influence could have went a different direction. That is That's right. phenomenal. And you wouldn't have never known if she could have done it. But, but our kids have so much. I mean, they have all this energy. And our job as a parent is so it's such a good job because we can like instead of like always telling them no, you can't do it. Is to say, okay, you know what? I'll be there so you're safe. I'm gonna make sure you don't fall off a cliff or anything. You know, but right. we're gonna go do something. And 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 they have, I think our kids have more potential than we give them credit for. And Good. when it's we true. learn these little skills, right? We can then become this the best version parent of ourselves. And by the way, there's been lots of times where I've blown this. I tell you like this story. There's been lots of times where my son, I remember, you know, my son's come to me and he said, Hey, dad, I want to play soccer. And I'm too involved with my phone and I miss the opportunity. Right. We all do it. And so, but if at least I know the principle, right? Like what can I do to catch my kids doing something right today? Right. But I think there's power too. in going back and being like, Hey, I missed that opportunity to play soccer with you. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Let's yeah, go play and then make it up. A lot in our house, a lot. Yeah. And that's what I want my kids to know is that when they become parents, they don't have this pressure to be perfect, right? Like I want them to know that I, like, do your best, right? That's our mo motto is like, we have a few mottos in our house is you're allowed to be disappointed. You're not allowed to be disrespectful. We have another motto that says, I don't care about perfection, but I want you to know that you did your best. You need to know in whatever you do that it was your best. It doesn't have to right. be perfect. And I want them I to take, that. I, I want, yeah. And I want them to take that, that with them when they become parents, because I, you know, as I parent, I think about them as adults, 
what kind of adult am I raising? What kind of man am I raising? I literally talked to my son the other day about my husband. He makes sure that he walks on the side of the road and I walk right here. And I was like, when you walk with your wife, you do not let her walk on the side of the road, even if she wants to do it. And you don't need to let her know. Like Such a, you know, such a good parent. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not the best parent. <laughs> well, <laughs> what you I did right there was really like, good. <laughs> you know, I, again, and that's another thing saying, sorry, like saying, sorry, like them for them to know that I love them. They're safe. They're secure. I believe in them. I'm proud of them. We're not allowed to say negative things about ourselves in this house. They have to speak life to themselves, but also to know that we're imperfect. And my kids are getting my oldest, my 12 year old middle school is just terrible. My gosh, it's a whole nother level of parenting, but I'm being more open with him about my past. So he knows that my behavior isn't because of him right? My mistakes aren't because of him. My mistakes are because of what I went through and that I'm trying my best to be different, but I'm not good at it. And if we could grow together, if we could work together as a family, as a unit. And so we're very transparent family, or at least I try to be because I don't want my kids to grow up and think there's this image of marriage and it's perfect. And there's this image of parenthood and it's perfect. So on the other end, on the other spectrum, there's the you don't want them to think that fighting is okay, right? And yelling is okay and all these really toxic behaviors. But on the other hand, you also don't want them to think that there's this perfect life that they can reach when they don't reach it, when they do have mistakes, right? Because whether we want to believe it or not, we project trauma onto our children, right? I just heard this really great quote. And then I want you to close us in. And then I'm going to ask you a, a really random question just so my friends and my community can get to know you. But I heard this question and what you're saying in The Power of Influence. And please grab his book. I will link it in the notes because you have you shared with me and you don't have to share it. But this man has been through so much. And to be the influence that he is for his children is absolutely phenomenal that the fact that you show up and that you well, and are I blow it a lot too. Do I, want what? To clear, I, I want to be clear. My kids could tell you this. I, I make a plenty of mistakes. <laughs> I think there's beauty okay. in it though. Cause you still show up, right? Like we lean on, that's, what's great about being a Christian, right? Like not that like grace is a justification to keep sinning, but it gives us the strength and the ability to get back up and keep trying and keep trying to be better. But I heard this crazy quote the other day. It's really not that crazy, but it really made me think. And it's that poor parents raise poor children. And it was talking about like, it was more like I was looking at this financial dynamic, but it was more about like, it's so sad that sometimes the choices uh, or the circumstances of parents are passed on to those children. Right. So if a parent is like a single mom or whatever, and they're struggling or financially struggling, like that kid they don't have anything to lean on, right? Like all we can give them is like what not to do <laughs> or what to avoid. And that is influential generationally, right? Because we create legacy. We, we pass down things for our, our family, right? That's why we want to build things and to keep it going and keep a security within our family. And so I was thinking about that going off with the influence of your book and, and your mission and, you know, what you're talking about is that like, 
yes, take it day by day, right? Like make a decision today. What is your little decision today? What is, you know, again, tomorrow, what is your little decision tomorrow to make a difference? But also really honestly be thinking about that. Like, what are you wanting to pass down to your kids? Like for you, your mom passed down all these amazing things that have stuck with you and it can be good or it can be bad. So we will pass something down to them. It's just bound to happen. But what is it going to be? So thank you for sharing that. I could literally talk to you (laughs) because you're such a great storyteller. I don't know if anybody's ever told you that. Um, Thank you. But what would you like to close us in? Like, what is a story (laughs) or something you would want to close us in or encourage us in our listeners with? Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story or two more just briefly here. And by the way, I just want to comment on something you said before I do that. You're right. We don't have to be perfect. Just do our best. Right. And yeah, like you said, there's, there's our biggest superpower and purpose is our pain. You know, and I think, I think really our pain, if you let Christ work in you, it becomes your superpower later. And so so whatever, whatever was, whatever was painful for you, you know, and my grandma who's also passed away, she said something, she said, you know, no matter the question, love is the answer. I think Mm, if your kids, if your kids know that you love them, that sometimes can fill in a lot of the gaps for when you, when we blow it, when we blow it, when you, when you, they really know that you love them. Yeah. I was a young mom and I blew it a lot. You know, I started having kids when I was 19. I had no idea what I was doing. I was growing up with my children and I look back and I'm like, dang, man. We're all kind of growing up with our children. They teach us so much. (laughs) Let me, let me tell you two, two things here. So there was a guy named Stephen Covey. He wrote a book many years ago and it was called, he wrote many, many books, but he was at this, he was at a, I think he wrote the seven habits of highly effective people, which is kind of a, it's been a popular book many years ago. And he had somebody come up to him after this conference. And this person came up to him and said something that kind of was surprising. He said, I don't love my wife anymore. And that kind of caught him off guard. And he looked at the guy and he said, well, then love her. And I hope I'm telling the story right. It's probably a little bit off, but I'm going I'm to summarize it. Yeah. The guy goes, well, I've fallen out of love with her. She's fallen out of love with me. We have three kids. We're probably heading for a divorce. And it kind of is concerning to me. And Stephen looked at him and said, if you're not feeling it, that would be a good reason to love her. And the guy mm-hmm. said, how do you love someone you don't love? And Stephen Covey looked at him and said, my friend, you're acting like love's a feeling. Love isn't a feeling. Love is a verb. It's an action word. But here's the thing. If you do the verb, if you do it long enough, the feeling will follow. In other words, even if you're not feeling love for your wife, the key is not to say, well, I married the wrong person. I'm going to go get a divorce. Or I'm going to do this. The key is to say, how can I love her? And go do the dishes for her. Go give her a back rub. Go take the kids so she can have a break. Go do whatever it is that's going to make her feel loved. And you'll feel more love for her as you love her. It's, a, it's this principle where you can lead your feelings. Do you see what I'm saying? Where you can actually, yeah. if you're not feeling something, 
um, you know, one of the reasons I think parents have such a huge love for their children is we're always serving them. We're always acting like we I love them. I was going mean, to say. Love. I mean, you want to study love, study what a parent does for a child. They give their whole lives. They sacrifice their, their time, their bodies, their, yeah. their time, money, everything to try to, to help these kids have a good life. And of course you love them because you're acting. Do you know what I'm saying? So yeah. the more we act, the more our feelings can follow. Now, talking about love, I'm going to tell you one more story. My daughter, Cheyenne, she was a beautiful angel baby. She had soft, dark hair. She had really deep, beautiful brown eyes. And she was a really calm baby. She was so calm. Sometimes I would have to stop what I was doing and just kind of look into her eyes and just lock eyes with her. She just had this, it was almost like she was looking into my eyes just as a baby, even as if she was almost searching for something in me <laughs> in a really, really calm, calm way. Well, fast forward a little bit. I'm, I'm on the side of the road. I'm sitting in my car. I get a phone call from a stranger, from a stranger. And I picked up the phone and the stranger's voice said, your daughter has drowned. You need to come to the hospital. And I said, what? And they said it again. They said, your daughter has drowned. You need to come to the hospital. Now, Ashley, I don't remember how the conversation ended. Right. Somehow I drove to the hospital. Somehow I found a place to park. Somehow I got in and I found my way back to a hospital bed. And I could see my nine-month-old baby daughter. I could see her on the hospital bed. She had tubes coming out of her nose. That wasn't the first time I saw someone I love with tubes coming out of her nose. Mm. I walked into the room. I heard someone in the room say the words brain dead. That wasn't the first time I'd heard those words either. Oh my gosh. I walked over. And I got I to gotta tell you, Ashley, there were a lot of people in that room who were not calm. But I walked over, I put my hand, it's kind of touched your shoulder. And right as I touched your shoulder, I felt calm. I felt calm. Almost like she was looking up at me calm. I felt calm. And I knew she wasn't going to make it, but I felt calm for some reason. I went over to one of the EMTs and I said, you know what? I'm a big, I'm a big boy. Tell me what's going to happen to my daughter. And they, one of them looked at me and said, well, I think she's going to make a really good donor. Oh, Somebody had thought that that was insensitive. I never felt that way though. The guy was just shooting straight to me and I was appreciative of being straight. But anyway, eventually they had to wheel my daughter out. 
they put her on a plane. We had to fly a couple hundred miles to a specialized hospital. I remember sitting there on the plane, Ashley, and I could see them respirating, had this bulb they were kind of squeezing to keep her oxygenated. And I don't know exactly where I was, somewhere thousands of feet above the desert. I could feel this darkness kind of coming in. And I just prayed and I said, help me, help me not to become bitter. And that prayer made all the difference. I haven't been bitter. The plane landed, got into this ambulance, drove up to the, to the hospital and uh, doctors said it didn't look good. And eventually it came time for to take the second person off of life support. They took my daughter off of life support. And by the way, she had a little bit of brainstem functioning so she could breathe just a little bit, not very well, but just a little bit. And they put her in my arms. And I just held her. Will you tell the people that you love for everybody listening? Will you tell the people that you love, that you love them today? Will you do it before the sun goes down? Will you remember that your little choices are huge? They're everything. You don't have to do something big. You just have to start doing little things. I'll make all the difference. And will you, here's my thing. Like my grandma said, who's still influencing me today, even though she's been gone for a long time. She said, no matter the question, love, just choosing to love is the answer. And what do you do if you're not feeling it? You just choose to love anyway, and the feeling will come. I am so moved. I think I just want to end it on that. <laughs> okay. Um, like I can say this boldly. I've never like, I've never been moved on my podcast. <laughs> like, I was just moved now. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You're fine, Ashley. I'm so no sorry. Don't, um, don't be sorry I just I just feel like the presence of God <laughs> so deeply in you and where I'm at after what you shared and I just want to say thank you even for me you're welcome thank it's you like for you said, yeah it's like you said Jesus can take our biggest pain we can Jesus can take our biggest pains and make them into strengths that are stronger than they ever used to be you are a testament to that 
Well, I'm not. I blow it all the time. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> but I got to tell you, whatever is weak, whatever is hard for you, and, and I, I got to, I got to shed the light on you right now. Here you are doing this wonderful podcast, trying to help people come to Christ, try to help people be a good parent. You're doing it right now, Ashley. Good for you. Well, I blow it daily, <laughs> but I am, yeah. I really appreciate that. And I really receive that. And I am going to go tell my kids that I love them. Do and life is shorter than we think. Just got to tell love as many people as we can. Yes. Well, I will let you go, but would you please, please tell my listeners, because I know they're going to want to know where to find you. And I can link all of the things in my show notes along with your book. I'm going to go order your book. And I would highly recommend that everyone else does because we there is nobody that makes it. I haven't made it, you know, none of us make it like we're always growing and we're always evolving and we're always trying to be better. And so I would encourage you to be open and be better. And so tell us where we can find all of the things and where people can connect with you. Well, the main thing, main thing isn't about me. It's about following Jesus Christ. And I love how you try to do that. So that's the main thing. Amen. I have a really funny name. If you wanted to look me up, it's E-K-S-A-Y-N. And nobody can spell it. So I'll say it one more time because everybody gets it wrong. It's E-K-S is in Sam, A-Y-N is in Nancy. Okay. And because because almost nobody else has this name, if you can, if you want to Google or look up, you'll find me because no. I'm not competing with anybody for that <laughs> name, right? So except for my except for and if it, if they're in my family, there are few, like very few people have that name. But I guess I would just leave. And, and, you know, if people want to get my book on Amazon, that's fine. I'm not as concerned about that other than just the message I want to leave with people is no matter the question, love, love really is the answer. You have problems with your, your, your marriage, choose to love them. You have problems with the teenager, choose to love them. Try to figure out the little things you can do to love them more. You have problems in business and life anywhere, no matter the question. My grandma was right. Love really is the answer. Amen. Thank you for coming on Confidence and Coffee. Thank you, Ashley. Did you enjoy that? I'd love to see you over at ashleyhammer.com where you can subscribe to this podcast and channel on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And while you're at it, I'd love to see the value that you found in Confidence and Coffee. So drop the ratings, the reviews, and the comments Plus, subscribe to this channel and tell a friend too. I'd love to see you over on TikTok or Instagram where I keep it real in the reels. Make sure you tune in next time on Confidence and Coffee.